Hello, and welcome to Connect, Collaborate, Champion, the podcast of the New American Colleges and Universities. I'm your host, Sean Creighton. In my current role as NACU president, I have the honor of working with an amazing group of independent colleges and universities. I'm a huge admirer of their approach to teaching and learning. They provide an integrated, liberal, professional, and civic education. As a result, the NACU campuses graduate extraordinary professionals for a global workforce and society. Also, their campuses are beautiful. About our podcast, we will focus on topics related to higher education. We will bring in guests that wrestle with current and future challenges. They'll include college presidents, provosts, professors, researchers, authors, disruptors, reporters, strategists, and maybe even a futurist or two. They'll help us expand our window into the world of higher ed. Thank you for being here. And without further ado, let's get started. Today's episode is about Generation Z entering the higher education workforce. And we have the good fortune to speak with Dr. Corey C. Miller, a leading researcher and author of numerous books on Generation Z. And she is in high demand when it comes to speaking about Gen Z. She also has a day job as the Associate Professor of Leadership Studies in Education and Organizations at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. Dr. C. Miller, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sean. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Let's just jump in and, and have you tell us about a little bit about your background and kind of what fueled your interest in, in your research in Generation Z. Well, you know, it really dates back to just a, a position that I had working in a college. I was working at a university as our director of leadership programs, and we would recruit students each summer for the program. And I'd been there for over a decade doing these recruitments at our summer orientation. And it was in the summer of 2013 that it just felt like the students were different. And I couldn't mm -hmm. put my finger really on what it was. They were asking different kinds of questions. They were seeming to um, be a little bit more responsive to coming over to our table and interacting with us. And I thought something must be up. And, you know, as a Gen Xer myself, when we transitioned to millennials coming to college, it was sort of a, a like a reactive approach, right? Where it was mm -hmm. like, oh no, it was like, wasn't until like seven years after millennials had come to college. And it was like, did you know that millennials are in college? So I knew that we couldn't do that with Gen Z um, mm -hmm. and that, that if there was something going on here, we had to figure it out. So, I mean, I, I learned pretty quickly after a thorough internet search that we were on a generational, you know, cusp. Mm -hmm. and, and that, you know, I'm not a believer that, you know, one year there's a group of people that act one way and then the very next year they act very differently. This had probably been something that had been building and, you know, we finally got our heads wrapped around, you know, working and best serving millennials that it didn't even occur to us that there, there would be another group of students that would come in with different needs. And so for me, the whole interest really stemmed out of this idea that I just simply noticed through my everyday job in higher education that the students were different, and I felt like we needed to get ahead of the curve on this one instead of being a little bit more reactive like we were with millennials. We had to figure out who these individuals were. So it really kind of spawned a curiosity that, that you know, unfolded into several studies and books, and um, I do a lot of reading. I even watch TikTok videos. I do what I can <laughs> to try to keep up on understanding this generation today. Yes, TikTok. I think maybe it's time for me to get a TikTok account and so <laughs> I can, because all of all of my children actually belong to Gen Z, and uh, you know there's like 15 years difference even within between them. But uh, but they're all Gen Zers, and it is fascinating yeah, to think about how much time and attention over the years has been given to Boomers, 
and then a little bit to Gen X, but then certainly to millennials. But now, yeah, this Generation Z kind of snuck up on us. Uh, in studying this population, maybe you could expand on what some of the, I don't know, differentiators are between Gen Z and previous generations. Yeah, well, you know what's really interesting is that we actually have so many living generations today. If you actually count them, we have the GI generation, the silent generation, the boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, and the one after Gen Z, which is Generation Alpha. So we have seven living generations right now. So when we talk about, you know, differentiators, wow, you know, there's a lot of differences across the spectrum. And the, the largest differentiators are things around their characteristics. Uh, Gen Z is primarily being raised by Gen Xers. That's the parental generation of Gen Z. And Gen X is raising their Gen Z kids to look a lot like them in some ways, a little bit more independent, um, responsible. They, you know, they say things like, well, if you didn't make the baseball team, then go out and practice. They're not, you know, trying to get their kid on the baseball team. They're, they're really trying to find a way to let these kids in some ways fail, but not fail too much, right, mm -hmm. as parents. And so um, you're seeing this, this Gen X mentality coming out in the parenting of their Gen Z kids. Um, what's interesting is that, you know, the characteristics are a little bit different. You know, we saw, for the most part, the parental generation of millennials raising millennials to give them the parenting that they had always craved and that they had wanted and in some ways with a greater amounts of support, optimism, hopefulness involvement and those came out in the way that millennials were raised and so you're seeing that gen z gen z is being raised with a little bit more of a hands-off approach mm -hmm. again in the context of today's you know kind of climate but the other things that are different we see across generations are around motivation it's interesting gen z is really motivated by relationships mm -hmm. and making a difference for other people whereas millennials typically are motivated by rewards incentives accolades knowing that they're doing the right thing gen x by autonomy giving them the space to do what they need to do. Uh, boomers are, are motivated by being appreciated. So you see this kind of differentiation, you know, between how people, you know, act, how people like to be motivated, and then you see things across um, how they like feedback, their technology use, collaboration, diversity. There's mm -hmm. so many other things that differentiate. But I think the key part here is the understanding that Gen Z is a unique generation and that they're not just an extension of millennials. And millennials are a great generation. They're a big generation, have a lot of great assets to bring to the table. But Gen Z is not just younger versions of millennials. There's some things that are really different everything from the kinds of platforms they use for technology to how they like to receive feedback. These are, these are different. And so I think the key point here is to really take time to understand the people that you're working with, that you're educating, that you're parenting, coaching, whatever, that people are different and getting to know each of those groups and, and constituents and individuals um, in a way that helps, I guess, leverage their potential uh, that's specific to them. Well, and now we're at a time where, not only is Generation Z um, populating our college campuses and um, our high school and elementary schools, they're going into the workforce. And you know, based on what, what you've actually what you've really just said and laid out in terms of differentiators, you know, what will they bring to the workforce? And, and I guess because this podcast focuses on higher education, maybe let's kind of narrow it to that and like, what will they bring to the higher education workforce? Right. What, you know, wouldn't, interesting thing to think about because um, it felt like just yesterday I was trying to figure out how we were going to engage them and educate them and support them as first-year students. And now here, here they are graduating college, going into the workforce, and even coming into higher education. 
a couple of years ago, I taught a class on Generation Z. It was a master's degree level class for people for Generation Z. And I, I had Gen Zers in my class. And I, I didn't think to even expect that, right? I thought, they're not here yet. But it, I should have done the math and thought, well, yeah, they sure can be. And so now it's not unusual that even in the classes that I teach at the graduate level to have master's degree students. And I teach in a student affairs and higher education preparation program. Mm-hmm. So we have people that are actually Gen Zers that are going into and are working in higher education as we speak. You know, how is what they, they bring with them really influencing higher, higher ed and how do they fit in higher ed? And I think mm-hmm. that that's a really significant piece. Some of the things that we know about Generation Z is that generally speaking, this generation has a real strong sense of social justice. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. from re- redefining space and programs, approaches and philosophies, and, and certainly um, you, you've seen that come out in student affairs, particularly in higher education in the last number of years, actually, and you're going to see it probably even more given some of the, um, the racial justice protests and movements mm-hmm, that are happening mm-hmm. even currently in this idea of social justice. So you're going to see that um, being at the forefront, and not just in student affairs, but, you know, in the classrooms, in administrative roles or wherever they sell. You're going to also see a lot of openness to using technology, this idea about how can we, you know, kind of toggle in and out of the digital world, where it's not just like you're either online or you're offline. Can you kind of live between both? Can we do a class that's hybrid? Can we do co-curricular work that's hybrid or putting things online that maybe people thought in the past would be taboo to do? And we're certainly at a crossroads with that, with higher ed, you know, having shifted to much online, you know, offerings, mm-hmm. many online offerings, given certainly COVID-19. So we're, we're kind of primed for Gen Z's mentality with that. Uh, Gen Z also will bring with them a need for flexible working arrangements. You know, we have millennials who, who have a much more blurred sense of, of uh, work-life balance and because they've had the ability to have, be digitally connected. But what that's done is it's really run that generation pretty ragged by having them work eight to five and then having them work from five to eight again when they're home and then answer questions on the weekends. And that's just not sustainable. And I think Generation Z uh, is going to, you know, be coming in and saying, that's not going to work for me. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to take a half day and I'm going to go to my kid's soccer game. And that's just how it is. And yeah, I'll answer some questions or emails on the weekend. They want that flexibility. They're also probably, you know, going to be bringing in this element of the gig economy into their work. Now, this is a really important thing to consider. 81% of Gen Zers say that they have an interest in going into the gig economy. And some people will do these, these gigs or these freelance, you know, endeavors as their full-time job. But a lot of people are doing them as side, side gigs. So what do you do at higher education that pretty much when you work there says you can't do anything else except for work for us, having a whole group of people you know, saying, I'm going to go into a relatively low-wage job and I can't make any supplemental income on the side. They're going to really challenge that notion of this kind of conflict of commitment or conflict of interest Mm -hmm. that, you know, people are asked to sign because they're going to say, you know what, I don't know that I want to work that job for pennies when and then not be able to make any kind of side income either. So I think that that's going to be something that's going to be a, a real conversation that I think higher ed is going to need to have. Again, this kind of flexibility of coming in and out of various spaces as opposed to being very categorical. This is my job. This is when I work. This is when I don't work. They're going to blend very much like millennials did, but they're going to have um, a lot more of a distinction and say, hey, wait a minute, this is too much or this is what I need. And if it's not what they need, they may just get up and go. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, if we were having this conversation pre-COVID, you know, we might respond a little differently and, and because COVID is help the workforce realize that you can work remotely and expanded that right. that ability for employees to work from home, 
balance life a little bit more. The part about, you know, like a lot, like not being part of the gig economy and having that flexibility, I mean, that's a lot of that's in policy, isn't it? Um, I mean, you're right, often yeah. you're, if you are hired on by institution, that's who you work for. Uh, so that, you know, do you see policy changing as this generation enters the workforce? Well, I see that they may not enter if they have to abide by that policy. They mm-hmm. may just choose something else. And sometimes policies change simply because they don't necessarily work anymore. Or maybe there's a new policy or a revision where it says, you know, you cannot use any of the material from this institution in your gig work, but, you know, you can certainly do things on the side. But these things are going to have to be looked at. Remote work policies, gig policies, uh, things that just may be prohibiting certain people from saying they want to participate, especially given that, you know, here we are, Again, and you're talking about this particular era of COVID-19 where there's other workplaces outside of higher education that have been really amenable to remote work. Mm-hmm. They've even been able to give stipends to people to create home offices. They allow gig work. They, they have flexible work arrangements, you know, they, where people can come and go as they need to, to to balance their work life. And they pay a whole lot more than higher education. And so higher education, we know, doesn't have a lot of money to pay more and compete in that sense. So it may need to go back and, you know, as as administrators, go back and look at some of those policies and say, what can we do to make this workplace really, really uh, a friendly workplace to our employees, especially Gen Z, who's looking for these things, if we want to stay relevant? And knowing that they can't compete with the salary, they might be able to have some policies that are at least really open to be able to support them. But if they say, nope, you can't, now we're all coming back to campus, you can't work remotely, you can't have any flexibility. There's no gig economy. We're going to pay half the amount of what it is outside of higher ed. I mean, I'm not not just Generation Z, but that's a tough pill for everyone to swallow at this point in time. And right. knowing the mentality of Gen Z, it's going to be even harder for them when they're starting their careers to say, okay, I think I'm going to enter into this type of industry knowing, you know, what we know about it. So earlier on, you said there, I think you said there are seven generations living right now. I mean, that's, that is pretty remarkable. And you know, how many of them are in the workplace right now? One, two, three, four, like four or five are operating in the workplace. Yeah. Do you see challenges in sort of intergenerational challenges, and you know, kind of conflict between these generations all in one, one workplace, yeah. one campus? I don't know if I'd call them conflicts, but I might call them differences. And mm-hmm. just being aware of what some of those differences might be. You know, that could be everything from communication, especially older generations, if we have baby boomers and even silent generation on campuses, you know, really, really valuing that kind of face-to-face connection. Stop by my office, poke your head in, say hi. That shows what it means to be a team player. But, you know, we have millennials and Gen Zers who might be more inclined to digitally check in, and that may seem Mm -hmm. off-putting right, to someone who wants to have sort of that interpersonal face-to-face connection. Although Gen Z loves face-to-face, they, they readily admit they're not very good at it, so they often avoid it, and they jump online and send a text instead or some type of a social media message. And so some of these perceptions of things like um, how, quote, engaged you are at work or, quote, what a team player you are or how much of a, quote, collaborator you are is going to mm-hmm. be perceived differently based on generations. And when you have a power dynamic where mostly older people are supervising mostly younger people, you know, the power dynamic will lie in the hands of those older generations with their perceptions of what is appropriate in the workplace. And, you know, that often comes from experience and expertise and those kinds of things. It's very justified, but in a sense, it might create a dynamic that 
that makes it difficult for Gen Zers to bring in something new that they offer and say, hey, wait a minute, I have this other idea, or, you know, working remotely isn't really that bad. I'm pretty distracted at work. If I worked at home, maybe I could get more done. But being able to really truly listen to everybody to be able to get those good ideas. So, yes, I think there will there is and there will continue to be perceptions of difference, um, but it's mm-hmm. a matter of sitting down and talking about those. Even having like a, a staff meeting or a retreat where you just talk about, all right, I want everybody to write down the things that make you feel valued at work. How do you want to be mm-hmm. recognized? Mm-hmm. What is the definition of a team player? I think being able to showcase how different those are across the individuals in the workplace can really shed light on the fact that you know, they're engaged differently, they work differently, but it doesn't mean that they're any less committed or they're any less of a hard worker or any less, you know, of a contributor. But I think it's those conversations that are crucial. Based on what you're seeing right now in terms of Gen Z entering higher ed, are there certain areas that they're gravitating towards, whether it's the academic side, the student affairs, you know, any specific well, given, niche? given their age right now where we're at, I mean, most of what I'm seeing is, in, is entering into student affairs. And that's simply mm-hmm. because... People can go into student affairs either without a master's degree at all in in some instances, but in most instances shortly after a two-year degree. And many student affairs professionals will get that two-year master's degree right right following their bachelor's degree. So um, if we're looking at the oldest of Gen Z turning 25 this year, you know, you have people who graduated college and have already graduated with their master's degree in in student affairs. And even if they're not full-time in student affairs, some of them are graduate assistants while, you know, working in student affairs while they're getting their degree. So that's where the, the lion's share of folks are right now. What we will probably see in the next five years is an influx of Gen Z junior faculty. And that's mm-hmm. simply because a lot of faculty have to, you know, they go on and they get four-year, you know, doctorates and things like that. And so some of them are still in school getting those degrees to go on into faculty. But, you know, the faculty role is, you know, could be quite a draw for Gen Zers, especially um, with the very few that are left, the tenure track positions, Mm -hmm. because this is a generation that really has a, a great concern about financial stability, and rightly so. I mean, they're called the recession babies for a reason. And, you know, and then here they are many of the older ones coming out of high school or college into the workforce that is on, you know, kind of taking this downturn during the pandemic. And their idea is, I need a job, I need a good one that I feel really good about, and one that I know that I can have for as long as I need. And so a tenured position is a really appealing opportunity. I mean, with tenured opportunities, though, decreasing over time, Mm -hmm. there's just fewer and fewer tenured and tenure track positions available. Uh, we might not see as many Gen Zers in those just simply by virtue of their numbers. But I think that it's a great draw for them, um, and especially, too, since this generation tends to really enjoy uh, careers where they feel like they can make a difference. And in higher education and in education in general, we know that there's this kind of sense of altruism. The people usually work in higher ed, not necessarily for the great huge paychecks, but they work because they know they're making a difference in the lives of mm-hmm. the students in their communities. And so that is another draw for Gen Zers to potentially, you know, go on into faculty roles. But I think we will see that in the coming years where we'll see some more of that influx. But right now what we're seeing is almost predominantly uh, student affairs. Yeah, I would even sort of elaborate on what you're saying that institutions that have a social justice mission, and there are many, many in higher education, may even become an attractor of the Gen Z um, population since that's Absolutely. kind of their interests align there. Absolutely. Well, and that's a values forward kind of thing that I think is really important too, is saying, you know, why my institution? Why do you want to come work here? Well, let me tell you, we're putting social justice on the forefront. I mean, the two biggest 
social issues that this generation rallies around are things around social justice and environment. They do all their shopping and their purchasing by by looking at companies with values forward, looking at, you know, are they environmentally friendly? Do they have, you know, human rights policies and things like that? That's where they're shopping. It would totally make sense for them to say, hey, wait a minute, I'm going to go and work for a school that has these social justice missions, you know, because that is something that I believe in and I want to be a part of that. So absolutely, I think, and I think institutions that have that are worlds ahead and not just recruiting Gen Z higher ed professionals, but they're also worlds ahead in recruiting Gen Z students if that's something that is highlighted in some of the recruitment materials. You know, I was going to ask this question around how might higher ed be changed by Generation Z, and I feel like you have given us different examples of what they bring. All right, I guess if you look into your the crystal ball, you know, <laughs> and picture a world in which our campuses are filled with employees from that generation, how might higher ed be changed? I think there's, there's a few things. Um, one is that they're going to really challenge this traditional notion of instructional delivery, right? This idea that that it's either online or, you know, in person or whatever the case may be. But I think that they're going to really say, listen, there's lots of different ways to learn. And, and for them, they tend to be drawn towards intrapersonal learning, which is this idea of self-learning. But they like social learning, too, where they want to be around people. So how do you create a space where people can be together to learn, but not necessarily have to be sitting in maybe a lecture hall to do it. And I think that this generation is really going to think outside of the typical traditional instructional methods that higher ed offers and say, we need to be, we need to be novel. We need to do something innovative. I also think that they're going to challenge the traditional major. We've seen the, the benefits of the traditional major, you know, where you have a discipline and you have people who are trained in that discipline, who are teaching in that discipline. And it, it's very clear from a a reporting and a funding and a class scheduling standpoint. But for students who want to go into fields that don't exist through college majors, traditional majors, what do you do for an, someone who wants to go into environmental activism? What kind of a major do they get on mm-hmm. campus? And that's really tricky because do they become an environmental sciences major? Well, no, that's way too much science. Do they become a political science major? No, because they want to do activism, maybe even outside of politics. What do you do? Do we have interdisciplinary majors? And, you know, when we're at a place where we're asking people to pay exorbitant amounts of money to go to college, money they'll be paying off when they're well into their retirement, they need to be able to get the degree that they want. And mm-hmm. I think Gen Z is seeking those degrees. And so when they come in and work for higher ed, I think what they'll be doing is trying to craft those degrees mm-hmm. and trying to make the entire uh, curriculum a lot more flexible in mm-hmm. terms of what it means to get a college education. So I think um, those are two of the biggest things that they're going to bring. I also think that they're also, you know, this idea of the of social justice and equity, I think that will be on the forefront of their minds. It's been on the forefront of millennials. They've definitely led the charge in the last 10 years. And certainly other generations have gotten on board in higher ed, but I think Gen Z is going to um, reach that tipping point and be looking at how to create more opportunities uh, for equity and inclusion on college campuses. What else are you working on? To end on a topic that gives us some insight to what your next book or, or something else that you want to share? Uh, yeah, well, you know, we just recently released a report on politics, which was a lot of fun, um, learning about how Gen Z perceives the political environment, not necessarily who they're going to vote for. It was open-ended and mm-hmm. a lot about, you know, what do they believe about politics and politicians? So we released a report on that, and it's available for free on our website. 
But we also um, are in the process of putting together some online courses that um, people can take. So when they don't have the opportunity per se to, you know, go to a training session or something that Megan Grace, my co-collaborator and I, I do, or, um, or want just a deeper dive, like if, if you've been curious about this, you know, this podcast, uh, we have we have a 10, 10 course series on Generation Z. So mm-hmm. it'll be neat. It'll be things like little videos, uh, reflections, activities, case studies, and so forth. And the topics range from everything from leadership, which is of course my passion area, social change, communication, interpersonal relationships, and so forth. So it's um that's been a lot of fun. So we're in the process of uh, uh, finishing off all those scripts. We're going to be recording in the next uh, week or two, and we'll be releasing those uh, hopefully within the next uh, four to five weeks. Oh, that's great. We will make sure that we link to your website so listeners can go there for more information. Excellent. Well, Dr. C. Miller, thank you for sharing your expertise and insight into this generation, and thanks for being a guest on our podcast. Great. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks for being here for Connect, Collaborate, Champion, a podcast of the New American Colleges and Universities. This podcast is made possible thanks to our partner, public radio station 91.3 WYSO in Yale Springs, Ohio. Thank you, YSO. The New American Colleges and Universities connects our campuses to collaborate in the delivery of innovative ideas and to champion the belief that a comprehensive, liberal, professional and civic education is essential to the future of our world. To learn more about our amazing campuses, visit nacu.edu, N-A-C-U.edu. See you soon.